chiefs are bloody king, bloody keep it bloody clean. Bloody chiefs are bloody swine, bloody draw the bloody line. A bloody fun and bloody game, a bloody kids in bloody blame. Nowhere to be bloody found, anywhere in chicken town. The bloody scene is bloody sad, the bloody news is bloody bad, the bloody weed is bloody turf, bloody speed is bloody surf, bloody folks are bloody daft, don't make me bloody laugh, bloody hurt to look around, everywhere in chicken town, bloody train is bloody late, you're bloody way, you're bloody way, bloody lost and bloody found, stuck in fucking chicken town. As it is... It always has been and will be here on the Evening Tickler with Steve and Julian, who's just fresh back from eight days crawling through the old parts of England. He looks as fresh as pickled herring, and it's good to have you back. We've missed you, Julian. And um, tonight we are with Z. Yes, just plain old Z. The last letter of the alphabet you can, if you choose, Call her the Omega Woman, and we will get more into that after I read to you something that I've prepared. As you know, preparation is not the strong suit of the evening tickler. But I was was reading some of Hunter Thompson's uh, favorite quotes, and I thought this would be a great way to, to set the conversational rabbit for this evening's dinner. And it goes like this. Life should not be a journey to the grave with uh, the intention of arriving safely in a pretty and well-deserved body, but rather to skid in broadside in a cloud of smoke, thoroughly used up, totally worn out, and loudly proclaiming, wow, what a ride. So begins the evening tickler in a cloud of smoke. You can smell a little bit of sulfur. And uh, it's true, but you know what? No, nobody does that, do they? I mean, that's such a good. That is a good quote, and that is and we Hunter Thompson. Like, did yeah, it. yeah, I know he did. He did well, it. there are those few Blowing people. his heart out on methamphetamine. Well, there are those few people who who uh, who kind of who uh, who do do that and kind of do it on on, on our behalf. I think because so we don't really a, have the guts to go down into the yeah, uh, into the underbelly. But so we need same. we need those people who go down on our behalf and they send back messages from from the inferno saying, this is what it smells like down here. I would like to think that Z is going to slide in sideways. I don't think any of us do, do we? Do what? It's a, first, it's a pleasure to be here. But oh, it's a pleasure! It's a pleasure to have you. Here. <laughs> Thank you. So I, don't, I don't think we really. Later. I like the idea that we all uh, that we all go for it, but the truth is, we're kind of cowards, and we we don't, we don't really want to arrive like he said, like a kind of rat, like William Burroughs, or like you know, there, there are those characters, but we need those characters because they are the. Who is that? Virgil in uh, in the Inferno? They're the people yeah. who go down and guide us into this because we don't really want to go there because it hurts too much. Well, you well I go... think those are the people who don't believe in the afterlife because... If... Oh, do you believe in the afterlife? Absolutely not. Why? Oh, of course you don't. I know from even <laughs> 15 minutes conversation with you that you don't. <laughs> Why would you believe in the afterlife? Well, it doesn't I believe... make life worth living. I, I, no, I it's a fiasco. That, it, that sliding out of life in a cloud of well-used life yes. is a great introduction well, to whatever adventure is awaiting us. No, that is not just no, the you, point. You have to end it the way you lived it. If you don't, then there, what kind of God are you going to say hello to if you misuse this huge, miraculous opportunity to use it up and thoroughly well, poetically, I totally grind agree. it out. No, I agree with you. Poetically, if there was such a thing as a god of course he would be yeah come in if you'd if you'd live the thing to the full 
Unfortunately, there isn't a God, Why and he's so not really there going to meet us. Is there, Z? There's no God, is there? Is there, is, is there a God? Well, I don't know. I think the whole thing may be a marketing gimmick. Because, after all, <laughs> if, you, if you look at the Vikings, and they had this pantheon of gods, mm. and every single Viking wanted to get killed so they could go to Valhalla being courageous. And I sort of have a feeling there is some enterprising local warlord that needed warriors because they were running out of things to grow. <laughs> so he put Iceland. up posters about it. He was like, no, really. No, really. You're going to go there. Yeah, so now yeah, yeah. you're going to go and die in battle and yeah. you will be glorified. Yeah. And if you take it from there. All the way to jihad. Absolutely. Without stopping and without everything stopping, in between. And there totally. you go. Right. Conquer. You nailed it. It's just a giant <laughs> ad campaign. It's a giant to get, ad campaign. To get people to, to throw people. themselves <laughs> into battle, battle or to do whatever to it is. Conquer. Absolutely. Yeah. That's what God is. Is an invention by Steve? Well, wake yeah. up <laughs> <laughs> over there. I've heard this so many times, and we've discussed it so many times. And, and the joke is this: that I think religion is given to a world as a form of hope for a world torn apart by religion. That's the paradox of religion. Wow, and, wow, and, wow. and most of religion is given as a form of hope to a world torn apart by religion. Okay. Do you understand that? It's well, a paradox. I, uh, and, and, it, and what I'm saying is that we as people invent the what part of religion, and we don't explore the why part of it. The, the deep mysteries is really where faith and religion belongs, and it's worth spending time with and not making jokes about. <laughs> Um, we can also make jokes about and, it. Come and on. you can, of course. Because of course, because it's as, funny. As being uh, and they look like a creature of the creator who had a great sense of humor. And all I have to do is look at us. And Apparently I know he doesn't have a great sense of humor. That's well, one of the things that always surprises me about religious people is how um, sensitive they are. Well, that's because you know, they're, they're so people. offendable. If yeah. they had a really great God, they'd just laugh off my silly jokes about the, him. And be the like, great okay. believers have a great sense of humor. Yeah, okay. Yeah, like the Dalai Lama or yeah. whatever. He, or he cracks up or, about it all. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. But your average churchgoer mm. is, really gets their nose pointed. That's because they're really paying easy. attention to the what. That's because they're the losers. Why. And well, they, <laughs> they could not have money or power or anything else. And so they think. See, what, the do you think? what do you think? I just think that religion is a very, very, very powerful tool for conquest. I think that, you know, if, if you look at biology, I think humans are the only living beings who willingly go to die. Yes. I mean, no other animal on the Lemons. planet. And, and what pushes them to that death? And go happily if it's not religion. Yeah, I, I, the religions at all. I mean, we have it in us, we, but re well, religion we do, is the catalyst. We do have that, it in uh, us, but after all, we are mammals, and I don't know any other mammal who will blindly go. I know. If you look at like I was over on the Somme uh, last year with, uh, if you look at the story of those guys getting out of trenches when the pe I'm sure we've already said this on the show, but um, when there are the people above them have just been shot back into the trench, so you know. You're going that up. You're going to, yes. Extraordinary. It's it only a century ago. This is. is people who had lives and loves and wives and everything. And they kept, they kept standing up in row upon row upon row and walking towards the enemy, walking into machine gun fire <laughs> for some yeah. concept of patriotism. You know what Nietzsche said about the whole thing? It's pretty good. Uh, <laughs> let me see if I can bring it up. He's always a wag. Is man merely a mistake of God, or is God merely a mistake of man? Does that sink in a little Ooh. bit? Did, uh, 
Yeah. <laughs> That's Nietzsche. Nietzsche also said... He always that, brings a, he always uh, brings a Nietzsche, conversation Nietzsche to a close. Also, yeah. I, yeah, enough of a religion. Nietzsche also said that uh, uh, anatomy is destiny. And here we are, three people that are reasonably fit and good-looking, kind of, um, even at our age. And, and I do think <laughs> that if we trace ourselves back, we can look to our privilege as having bodies and, and, and so on that have really traced out a lot of the ways that our life has turned. Don't you think that if you were three feet tall and three feet wide and black and with hair all over your body that you would not have had the opportunities that you have uh, had in your no, life? No, absolutely not. And I would be living 30,000 years ago or whatever, a million years ago, yeah, if, whenever first man came out of the jungles of yeah. Africa or the swamps of wherever they yeah. came from. Um, yeah. You know, we, we did evolve into... Something yes, we did. Quite extraordinary, and we yeah. got lucky. We did get. Ex- we you got lucky. Ex- we were just talking outside about how lucky you got. Why me? Well, because <laughs> of, because of your entire <laughs> background God, is God is, loved a, you. is incredibly God an incredible array of good fortune, isn't it? Well, it has been an array of good fortune, but on the other hand, and I, I know this is going to sound rather odd, but I, you know, I wasn't born, or neither were my ancestors, in sort of the peasant class. And you were or you weren't? No. You weren't? We weren't. Well, it didn't sound like it outside. No, well, that's... Um, I thought you were about to do a prolier than now claiming you're clearly not. No, and, and, and you know, if... Where are you going? You... Where's he off? Oh, <laughs> it has to be closer. So, and, and, I, and I'm talking a thousand years ago. I mean, I, I was born from a family which a thousand years ago was privileged. A thousand years ago? Well, that's how far back we could trace. Like ten hundred. Like ten hundred, yes. That's the dark wow. ages. You that's come, a, that's, that's you come from, from the, the dark, dark ages. But we could trace our, our, our family ancestors. I can't. I can't. Do you have any objects? Do you have any objects from a thousand years ago that the families kept, like jewels or words or mottos? Do you have an old family motto from the no, dark ages? No. What I what I do have <laughs> is a series of. Um, of family emblems. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, when you put them all together, it sort of looks like this, you know, Eastern European Game of Thrones because yeah, yeah. there's cranes and there's wolves and there's crows uh-huh. and there's ravens oh, and it there's little very, turrets. It's very Harry Potter. Kind it's of very, very Harry Potter. Oh, but right. I'm more, more like Game of Thrones yeah, because yeah, they're far more violent. I don't know what game, games are. Yeah. Right, right, right. They, well, they were carved like out this... of stone, so they look more violent. But well, no, they were actually painted on parchment. Were they parchment? That, they and parchment, parchment is like uh, sheep ass, so, right? <laughs> no, it's sheep skin. Well, sheep okay. skin. Or skin? Right. Is it, but or the is stuff it, that oh, endured yeah, was the tough part. Which no, no, no. Parchment is, is, is skin. Is it inside? Yeah. It's, it's the inside. It's the inside. It's yeah. the inside. <laughs> we don't All care right. about the parchment. So I'm, what who, What was happening in 1000? Who was around then? Is that like Genghis Khan That's or Charlemagne, man. No. Well, this was in Gen- Bosnia, which, which is currently Bosnia today. So um, there were there, there were Christian and um, there were warlords. And they were slowly looking at. I mean, actually, they were they were they were controlled or run by or looking towards Constantinople before it became Istanbul. So oh, yeah. it was it was the Eastern Roman Empire. And I must say that at the time, as my mother reminds me, we were eating with forks while in England they were still eating with hands. Well, we're still eating with hands. Well, in okay, England. right. We, okay, we still haven't discovered knives, the fork. But anyway, so she's. <laughs> So she, she does say that. And um, so these are just, you know, tribal chieftains and, and um, a lot like, you know, the Scots. And they had their little turrets and their little castles yeah. and they were all protecting these little borders. And um, some of them were stronger than others and they crowned themselves kings. So they were part of the Ottoman Empire? Well, Bosnia at that time became part of the Ottoman Empire. And 
uh, my family sort of moved towards more mountainous regions to get away from the conquest. And they didn't like the Turks. Back. No, they did not like the Turks. Right. That, and the Turks didn't like them. No. But the Turks were a lot like the Romans. I mean, the Turks would co-opt. Just the next bunch, yeah? Just the next bunch. When was uh, Constantinople sacked by, the, by Venice? No, that was about that much 12, later? 1100, 1200. That was an amazing battle when the Eastern uh, uh, Roman Empire gave itself up to the Turks. That battle lasted for... Uh, what, 50, 100 years? But well, they actually gave themselves up to an Eastern horde. Was... And there's this extraordinary book called Justinian's Flea. And the reason why Constantinople fell was because the plague had decimated Constantinople. It's, it's a great book. I, <laughs> I read this history about that amazing city and how it was fortified. Wait. And, and how it was in, I guess, yeah, there was that point where they couldn't defend it anymore because of a few people. And the gathering Turk hordes on the ocean just overwhelmed them with Wait, fireballs. Constantinople was something other than Turkish in the beginning. Are we talking oh, about Oh, absolutely. The Eastern no, Roman it was, it was Empire Christian. when the Germanic oh, tribes the invaded Christian. Rome. Oh, Christianity moved to Constantinople, and that oh. was, the, and, and the last emperor was Justinian. Oh, so Turkey is a, is a is a is a is a modern construct. Absolutely. Or post-Roman. Post-Roman. Oh, it's not an empire that goes back years and years and no, years. No, no, no. See, That's I didn't right. know about that. Mm -hmm. Well, you taught me something. So anyway, uh, your guys were around then. Our guys were around then. Right, and then but what the, happened? But there's so uh, go so, so go they, century by century. So so then so then they moved. Um, they were good. They went south. They're up in the mountains. Now. They were, well, Bosnia is sort of mountainous, but not as mountainous as Montenegro. And um, so they so they moved towards Montenegro. And um, now we're talking. Well, we're, we're moving quickly because otherwise we'll be here for hours. But anyway, <laughs> we, we're now talking. We're now in the uh, late 1400s, early 1500s. Oh, we've moved 400 years. We moved, but this is this is quite this is quite an extraordinary story because the Turks had uh, a core of soldiers which were taken which were young Christian boys which were taken as hostages and then taken to Istanbul and trained and they were called the Janissaries and what they were doing is that all the sort of prominent families would give their sons into bondage to um, the Turks in order that they'd be left alone and it was the Turks way of also controlling this whole situation so nevertheless one of our ancestors was taken over as a Janissary and he was very enterprising and ended up being the Grand Vizier under Suleiman the Magnificent. In, 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 Constantin in, Constantinople. in Constantinople. And he actually was the regent and ran the Ottoman Empire for, you know, 14 years. This when, is one of your relatives? Well, this is, yeah, one of my ancestors. And so this is a Christian from Bosnia who ended up essentially running the Ottoman Empire. But wow. the extraordinary thing is, is that every firstborn son would receive a white stallion of the Arabian barb horse in Montenegro. It was, it was a way of progressing. And that went on, and the last one to receive that white stallion was my grandfather. Oh, yeah. really? Yes. Oh, wow. When he was born. So wait, so, so heading up, basically <laughs> heading up region of the Ottoman Empire. Yes. And now you're in Delaware County. And I'm in Delaware County. <laughs> I know. It's, it's... How are the mighty fallen? Really? No. <laughs> I know. But, but, I don't, I don't know. I but it might be a way back. It is a way back. It is a way back. And Montenegro is a lot like Delaware County. Is it? It's difficult. It's mountainous. It's... Peasant stock. The, well, the, the we, we're ruling, not, uh, well, no, uh, there, there, is, there isn't any such thing. 
I mean, after all, you know, we're in the United States of America. Know, it's yeah. the beacon of freedom, and that's why I'm here. Because I, I yeah, why are you here? Well, because I grew up. Well, I grew up in Africa. Where, did, where in Africa? In Morocco and the Congo. Oh, really? Yes. You're very Paul Bowles. <laughs> or maybe you're very Jane Bowles. And, and, in Kinshasa. And as so, so my parents, and then, then in South America, in Colombia. Why were they in Kinshasa? Uh, well, my dad, my dad was there um, doing business and been part of the diplomatic service. But the part that I did not tell Steve when we had this chat, he was also had been a very famous... Uh, goalkeeper for the Yugoslavia national team and an <laughs> Olympic gold medalist. And he was hired to coach the national team of Zaire by Mobutu. By Mobutu? By Mobutu. He was a... Ah, yeah. So yeah. that's quite late then. You're talking... That's the this was in 1970. 70, that, right. Well, he actually started off his career in parallel to that in Morocco being the soccer coach of Morocco with King Hassan II. And the reason he ended up in Kinshasa was that um, Morocco had a big qualifying game against Algeria. And at that time, this is for the World Cup in 1970, which was played in Mexico. And, and at that time, only one team from the 49 countries in Africa that existed at the time qualified. And of course, Algeria and Morocco always had that little dispute over that part of the Sahara. And the king, the night before the game in, uh, against Algeria, sent a lineup. And these are the players that are going to play. And my father sort of crumpled that piece of paper and threw it away. And Morocco won 3-0 when they went on to the World Cup. I remember them being in the World Cup in 1970 because I used to get all the little cards. Well, there you go, the little, you know, the little albums. Yeah. So off he went to, um, to Mexico, came back, and Morocco, you know, did quite well for itself. Um, you know, they, they didn't do anything embarrassing, and they came back, and the king had this great party, and, you know, the, the big parties in, in Morocco, and they have the horses, and they're all galloping yeah. around, shooting up in the air. Yeah. And um, he, you know, he called my father in and gave him this great big medal and said, but you disobeyed the king. You cannot stay. Because he taught, because he didn't put the team out. Exactly. And so he couldn't stay? He, he was kicked stay. out of Morocco? Oh, yeah, we were kicked out of Morocco, yeah. And went to Zaire. Uh, yeah, well, Mobutu was, at the time, decided that... Um, he could just buy anything. He could buy anything, and he did. And, but the extraordinary thing is that four years later, 1974, Zaire was the first black African team ever to go to the World Cup, and guess who they eliminated? Morocco. Morocco. <laughs> <laughs> but that, that was an extraordinary trip, because Mobutu had just purchased... Air Zaire, a 747, and it was the first 747 in Africa. And I remember when it sort of arrived to Kinshasa, we're out all in the street cheering as this plane circled. But he wanted to impress King Hassan, which actually was a friend of his. So I remember we went from Kinshasa to Rabat, just us and the team, 40 people in the on 747. The, <laughs> Wait, isn't that around about the same time, or is that earlier than the whole... Ali Foreman thing, because that was in Zaire too, yeah? Well, that was George Foreman, Ali. It was the rumble in the jungle. But that, that was in Zaire, yeah? That was in Kinshasa. Yeah. And I met them both. And Don King was the manager at the time of George Foreman. Right. Promised me a scholarship. In fact, promised my father a scholarship for both of his daughters in the United States. Well, he just lied to everybody, didn't he, he Don did. King? Absolutely. Don King lied right. to everybody. Is he I dead? Mean, I believe he died. It's amazing he lasted as long as he did. Yeah. What a foul human being. Yeah. Really Although was, Mobutu was also a foul human being. But the times I met him, he was rather charming. 
<laughs> I, I, he yeah, was, well, I guess you could be, yeah, if you weren't on the receiving end of whatever but, his you know, tyranny but, but there's, was. But it's funny because Mobutu, when, when we arrived, it was still the Congo, and Mobutu changed everything to Zaire. Yeah. And there was this, this, this wonderful singer, and if you ever find a song by him, please do play it. His name was Papa Wemba. And Africans love music, and it was a song that came out, and it was called The Three Zs, and it's like um, my river, my country, and my um, currency, because it was the Zaire. Mm -hmm. And um, so, so Papa Wemba came out with a song, and at the same time, all of the French or the Belgian names which were all the Antoines, and um, Mobutu's name was not Mobutu. His name was Joseph Désiré. Right. And so Joseph Désiré and everybody else had to take tribal names. Mm. And Mobutu named himself, and his name was Mobutu Seseseko Kukuwendo Wazabanga. Yeah. And that translated from Lingala, which is the language that he spoke, means, you know, the rooster lives no hen untouched. Oh, yeah, <laughs> I heard about that. I have heard about that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> So anyway, nothing to do with Montenegro. You know, that, that's no, that's amazing. The Africa stuff's amazing. Oh, the so, Africa. So, but he was there for he was there forever. Yeah, Mobutu. Yes, I mean, I we uh, know we left way before I mean, before that. In fact, we 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 left um, in nineteen right after the World Cup. It, for 1975. So it was purely about having that job for the for the soccer team, and also for the being having a diplomatic position, and, and uh, it was all and, and business and, and business and the business with Adidas because Adidas at the time was expanding internationally and Africa was the place because prior to 1974, um, most of the big soccer teams and athletic teams would actually pay to buy their kit. Yeah. <laughs> and it's, which is quite remarkable thinking that now the, the sports brand manufacturers well, just, are paying millions for yeah. them to wear the kit. But at the time, the teams had to buy their kit. And Horst Dassler, which was a son of Adolf Dassler, who yeah. started Adidas, yeah. had this great concept like, no, I'm going to give away free jerseys right. and, and shoes and what have you. Man, we wish he hadn't. Right? God, it was so much better <laughs> when your team just had to go and buy some stuff and from buy the some shop. stuff from the shop. Oh, yeah. Instead, we're... So my mother represented them there, and then um, then we moved to South America. And, Where did but, you move in South America? Bogota, Colombia. Oh, and everything was fine then. Back then? I've, no, there was um, it be there, there, well. I, I guess it was. I mean, except there was like guerrilla groups all the time, and it, it wasn't um, it wasn't the FARC. It was the M nineteen, as they were called at the oh, time. Oh, I remember that too. Yeah. Yeah. So Colombia is always wow. Been, you've been to all these um, places. I have. So right. Delaware County is really peaceful. It's right, very totally nice. peaceful. Absolutely wow, lovely. You're not, you're not doing the Hunter Thompson. You're not blazing into the. No, you no. you've you've like smoothed out a little smoothed bit. Smoothed out. It's nice and peaceful. You don't you know you don't think you're going to be decapitated with a machete, or you know kidnapped and taken it, to it, some it, jungle. And you sound like a Graham Green. You sound like several Graham Green novels all stacked up against each other. I've had an extraordinary childhood and and life, and I have it's. You know, it was just random. I didn't do anything to have it. It just happened. Well, it's because you yeah. were in the... It's because uh, because the corridors of power operated different back then. No, maybe they don't. Maybe it's exactly the same now. If you're moving in those kind of circles. I'm sure there's... You know, if you're... Uh, what's Trump's weird lawyer called? The guy who's in trouble now? Michael, no, Michael, Michael Cohen. Cohen. Oh, please. If you're, yeah, I know. But I mean, and that's a very tacky kind of whatever. But if you're moving in his, uh, in his circles at the moment and you're telling crazy stories about having walked into, 
you know, strange power bases in the middle of something. You know, it's as much of a madhouse as it ever oh, was. Well, I, yeah. I'll tell you this marvelous. You're going to give us a Michael story? What clothes? Well, it sort of has to do in a very. Uh, well, okay, it's connected. You'll feel, you know. So it's connected to, to the extent. But anyway. Um, so the Congo, Africa, magic. And um, at the time, there, there, there were home and away games being played. And uh, the national team of Zaire goes to Cameroon. And as the players arrive to their bedrooms, they walk into their bedrooms and all the beds, there's all these like little feathers and weird little fetishes and blood <laughs> and so on. And the players go down screaming. And my father says, well, don't worry, I will show you that, you know, our ancestors are stronger than theirs. And the next morning at 6 a.m., he takes them to the cemetery. Um, and Yaounda, I believe, was the capital of Cameroon. And um, had them dance, starts dancing on the graves. Now, my father was 6'7", big man. Uh, dancing in the cemetery in Africa. But anyway, so that, that gave a great confidence to the players, and then they went to the field, and my dad went out and started touching the field, and he got arrested and thrown into jail because he was supposedly putting magic into right. the pitch. Right. And so he got malaria, and Zaire lost 3-0, and it was a big thing, and they came back to Kinshasa, and Mobutu calls my dad up, and he says... This, 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 this is unforgivable. Right. I mean, they cheated. You were in jail. You know, you've been sick. So what can we do? What do you need to beat Cameroon? And my dad said, eh, about 2,000 Zaires. <laughs> so, you know, a bag full of money appears. <laughs> right. And, um, and the next day, well, two, well, actually not the next day, next, the week after, Cameron goes out, and none of the players could run, and they lose 5-0. So those 2,000 Zaires in cash were um, used to hire the best prostitutes in Kinshasa, and oh, two really? of them were placed in each of the Cameroonian players' rooms. And they went for it. And they went for it. So by, by the time they got onto the pitch the next day, they couldn't run. They couldn't even walk. Oh, so, if only it could still be like that. Right? So yeah. in a sort of roundabout way, it does that connect to Michael Cohen. Although I, guess, well, I think that's although, an appropriate Michael Cohen story. Although I guess, yeah, if you were actually looking in the, in the, you know, whatever that, whatever that. Money can buy anything. Yeah, well, Money if you look at that anything. Trump thing and the, and the peeing prostitutes or whatever, right. I guess it's not that much different, no? No, it's not. Right. What were you about to say? I saw something, like, right on the, right in the front of your mouth. Well, there. I've been listening to Z talk and to you question, and I've felt myself attached deeply to our listening audience, all <laughs> seven of them, and I've been feeling that whatever I do, in my life will be insignificant, but I must do what I do regardless. And, and I will, after this time with Z and this history of thousands of years and her being here now, start to build my own family legacy. And it's, it's going to start with me and what I do on my farm and the power and the money and the privilege that I build up and the tribe that I can collect to go from Bovina to Walton invade them take <laughs> take their women take their animals you don't need a very big bag of money i don't think take their power and, and start well. that whole like dark ages thing so that a thousand years from now my children's 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 children i could go on for several times can sit and tell these wonderful stories. The trouble is, these I think great I think we'll find you by the side of the road on day one. <laughs> Failed. <laughs> like, Just like, like now nah, it was too much work. There, there, there is an extraordinary history 
here too. And you know, we 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 acquired the farm in Andes by auction. And and we who had, did? Well, we did the who, Campbell farm. You yes, and um, we we were we were in Argentina and we we're looking to buy a place. And a friend of ours sent us an email and said, you know, there's this beautiful piece of land which is going up for sale. The only thing is that the auction is you know, 24 hours from now. You hadn't been anywhere near the Catskills? You didn't... No, no, no. We'd, we'd spent many years already renting um, in the Gould family estate, and it was one of our favorite places. I mean, we loved it. And we, we actually sort of knew Andy's because we'd driven through Andy's. Where were you living? Times. Where was your home? At the time, it was the in, city. Um, in the city. Right, right. And, and so we got this phone call because uh, the, well, the conversation for another time but nevertheless uh, we stopped renting in the late 90s and um, we're looking to buy a place here and we couldn't find anything that would even come close to to the beauty of the the Gould family estate and so this friend called us up and said no you absolutely have to go see this place it's, it's auction and you have to get on a plane and so we we get on a plane and um, we show up here and we go we actually show up at Kennedy Airport get in a car drive up and Several hours later, we own this 470-acre farm. And um, so had it been in the possession of the Campbell family for 200 years, and um, my, my husband's last name is Dennis, and as we're driving out of the place, our son, who was 13 at the time, turns around and says, well, I guess in 200 years, maybe people will know it as the Dennis farm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that is a very weird thing. You're up by where um, the rent war, where, uh, by Dingle Hill. Right yeah? there, right, right there. It's, it's Campbell Hollow Road, and it's right before the, the Dingle Hill where that anti-rent shooting. Camp. Right, so that's yeah. the kind of sore epicenter of the, whole, uh, of the whole story up here. Absolutely. The, the really. rent wars. Right. Uh, there's a, there was, maybe there still is a sign in Andes that, that uh, it's, it's kind of the community uh, welcome to Andes sign that says, we shot the sheriff. Uh, I think it's like, it says that. Well, actually, no. One says it say? it's the epicenter of the anti-rent wars. Yeah. And the other one is, uh, I think it was the saying, is that... Um, Something about steel. Lead and, penetrates yeah. steel. Those are all modern, though. They were only put up in the last few years. They were. They, they have there nothing was nothing to do with the before. history of the place. But yeah. I, I think this is an extraordinary um, book, and it was out of print that I actually acquired it. Uh, I, Tin Horns and Calico. And oh, it's a book yeah. about the history of, of the entire anti-rent war, which wasn't just Andes. I mean, the, the shooting mm. happened in Andes. Mm. But it, it's, it's, it's an incredible uprising, which nobody teaches about. Do they not? They do around here, but maybe not any further. Not no. anywhere else. No. I guess they all do Boston Tea Party. And, yeah, exactly. And, and they completely forget this one. And, and this yeah. one was, was... It's coming back. There are a number of people doing films on it right now, but it's on a it's a t very topical theme of I'm mad as hell and I'm not going to take it anymore. And, yeah. and these are people that were uh, persecuted and taken advantage of, and they got together, basically formed a union and said, uh, that's enough. That's enough. And they won. Well, and also the risks that they took. Oh, you've got to do it. I've got to do this. Um, you're listening to WIOX Community Radio, live and local in the Catskill Mountains at 91.3 FMN on MTC Cable Channel 20 and at WIOXradio.org on the web or on any smart device. This is the Evening Tickler with Julian, very sincerely looking into my eyes right now, and Z 
with her gracious smile, waiting for something that all of you also cannot live without. WIOX is supported by Columbia Green Media and their Daily Mail newspaper. From Ravina to Palinville, from the Rip Van Winkle Bridge to the Catskill Creek, the Daily Mail's daily print edition, website, and social media presence are designed to bring the communities of the Catskills timely news, sports, and event information. More at thedailymail.net. WIOX is supported by the Alzheimer's Association. Providing the public with educational programs, support groups, and a staff of experts to help navigate the challenges of Alzheimer's disease, a global epidemic that affects more than 20 million Americans. Information 24 hours a day at 800-272-3900 or alz.org. The first half an hour disappeared like snow upon the desert. Always does, always does. And, And here we are ready to go deep. Okay, and and where should where should what is deep? Where are we going to go? Oh, I don't know. I'm just enjoying the I, um, I, I'm just I, enjoying the, the, the stories of far off lands. You know, with everything that's been said, what kind of sticks in me because I'm a visual guy is this string of icons that have traced her family from lion heads to ravens to sheep to wolves. Um, do you right now feel that you have a an animal? A uh, totem that represents you more than others is it a is it a wolf or is it <laughs> an elephant or where did Pulao from? No, but all right, all right, is, all right, right. Give what, it a go. You can no, be brief. Z talked about all these families. Wolf, 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 wolf all the way. You are a little wolfy, and you think? Yeah, a little lupine. Is that lupine? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Lupine. yeah, yeah you're what, a little. Yeah. yeah. What is it? What attributes does the wolf have that you feel uh, kind of are in you? Well, I don't know. I think it's nurturing, and it can also rip your throat out. Yeah, so. are you bossy? Yeah. No, not at all. Are you not at all bossy? Absolutely no. not. Huh. Yeah, and um, but what the wolf isn't bossy at all. They just want to be. You just they want to do the wolf the thing. Right. And if see, anybody and, doesn't do the wolf thing, then watch out. No, and and the, and the reason why I'm not bossy is because every single country that I've grown up with, I've been the outsider. So you don't. You're not bossy. When you're all the way, huh? all the way. I mean, I'm certainly not Moroccan. I'm not Congolese and I'm not Colombian. Right. So you had to watch your you, despite. I fact, had to make friends. Right. Even though you're in a privileged position, you had to mind your P's and Q's a little bit. Well, no, no, a lot. A lot. Right. A lot. Especially in like places like Mobutu or whatever, because presumably what I thought you were going to say when he came back from um, Cameroon is that Mobutu presumably could say, well, uh, you know, if you lost Oh, we could have put him in a barrel right, and right. throw them down the river like <laughs> right, it happened right. to the previous coach. Right, 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 right. <laughs> right. Big risk taking, because uh, Mobutu was basically Amin, yeah? They were kind of interchangeable people. They, well, no, Mobutu was, was sort of a Idi Amin light. Right. He was. Right, I, right. He really was. And it's, it's only later that um, he, and actually, I don't think Mobutu was a murderer. Mobutu was a thief. Right. That's what he did. He yeah. bankrupted the country and yeah. he set the stage for murderers. Who came but, in? Who was on? Uh, we'll, we'll finish on Zaire in a minute, but who was on the back of that? When Mobutu went out? 
Oh, gosh, I don't remember. Is that the whole... Right, right, right. It's that family that's there now. I don't remember Oh, it's that. Yeah, 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 yeah. That means they're still there. So it is So it is modern. It's modern Zaire after that, or modern... They changed the name back to Congo. Well, they changed the name back to Congo, and it's it's a big tribal thing. Have you ever done that? um, A friend of mine did that boat from Brazzaville down to... Kigali or whatever, right into the the heart of darkness, the Joseph Conrad. Oh, well, that's going upriver. Oh, is it? Yeah, Yeah, going upriver. That's going upriver. That's going upriver. You go to Goma. Oh, to Goma, yeah, 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 yeah. And that's Goma, and then you go to this extraordinary park, which is Virunga, where they have all the gorillas. All the gorillas, and the, yeah. The gorillas in have it. you done that? Yes. Oh, you've been up that river? We've that been is up that river. That is the Conrad, that is the Kurtz That is thing. the Kurtz, that is the heart of darkness. And and um, it, it really is, there's this book, actually, they talk about Africa. Africa is very special, and... There, there were two books that struck me about Africa, aside from The Heart of Darkness and, and all the exploration in Africa. Um, there was this book, it was actually an English author, and it was called The Scramble for Africa. And it was talking about all the, 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 the sort of, you know, King Leopold taking the Congo as mm. his own private garden, and then the Germans and the French and the Brits, and they're all there taking their little pieces mm. and all the things that happened. And there was this one part, and... Um, which is about uh, Nigeria, and then there's the River Delta. Nigeria, as, as it comes out and um, on the coast of the Atlantic, and there was this terrible uh, tribe there, and they were cannibals. Mm. And um, the English were absolutely determined to conquer this, and they, and they finally did, and they requested that a letter of surrender be written by the king of this tribe. And, um, and it was written to Queen Victoria. I don't even know why I'm talking about this, but I, I just... I like it, I like it. I think this letter is great. And it, and it says, Dear Mother, and, and mother in Africa, regardless of where you go in Africa, is a sign of respect. Yeah. So they're writing to, to Victoria, and they're writing, Dear Mother, Dear Queen Mother. And they're going on, and they're... And they're talking about how, you know, the terms of surrender and they're apologizing. And then finally, at the very end of this, and, and they say, and, and this letter actually exists, it's a document that exists. And, Mother, we are terribly, terribly, terribly sorry for eating your employees, <laughs> which is what they did. Oh. You know, respectfully yours. And that, that, was, that, was, the one, that was the one book that was extraordinary. <laughs> and another book. <laughs> which was completely different, but it tells you a lot about Africa. And, you know, the white man does not survive in Africa. They all eventually either become alcoholics or die of malaria. Yeah, 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 totally. It's just that there's like, mm. there is no life there. Um, maybe in South Africa, but even that, no, it's not going very well. But there was this extraordinary book, which was called Out of America. And it was written by a black man from Chicago who was also working for the Washington Post. And he was sent to Nairobi as head of the African desk. And unfortunately, he gets sent there at the time that, you know, all hell breaks loose, breaks loose in Rwanda and Liberia and, and absolutely everywhere else in Africa, and, and everybody's massacring each other. And he comes back to America, and he writes this book, and it's addressed to American or African-Americans um, saying, by the grace of God, my ancestors were brought to this country as slaves. Right. Because in Africa, what the dead mess. have no names. Yeah, yeah, totally. And, um, it, and that book really struck me as right. well. It, 
for many other, you know, but, but nevertheless, um, th those are the two books about Africa. It's so fascinating. Reading all those books, uh, have you read William Boyd? Yes, I have. Brazzaville Beach or whatever, you know, yeah. all of those things. They're so, and Graham Greene made me want to go there or whatever, but it's, uh, but, it's also, but you yeah. know what it is? I mean, I was there as a child and to this day, and, and the earth in Africa is red. It's red. It's, it's red and it's humid and it's hot. And I think there is some like little bit of DNA which is in us that is from Africa. Oh, absolutely. And we have well, we talked about this. Incredible yeah. attraction to absolutely. Africa. Absolutely. Where we really don't belong anymore. Oh, people are, people are changed by, by white people, absolutely. people with blonde hair are changed by the process of going. Absolutely. We want to we go. We want to go. Which it's is the heart of darkness concept or whatever. Yeah. 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 Well, where did the beat skip uh, when we do have that DNA and we emerge from that cradle, but, but the white man can't survive there anymore? What's that paradox? Well, because we've evolved to live in a different climate. Yeah. Is there a judgment there? No, I don't think so. Yeah. I don't think so because yeah. I, I have many, many African friends and actually witch doctor African friends, which has helped me in my business. And... Um, Africans, despite everything, it, it, despite starvation, despite the tribes massacring each other, besides slavery, which you know had its origin in Africa. I mean, you know, it was the Arab trade routes, and it was African tribes weren't taking slaves here and there. And I mean, eventually they got exported, but it had its origins there. Despite absolutely everything that happened in, in Africa, they're some of the happiest people. The music, the humor, everything. Right. It's it's just an extraordinary continent, and you know we left it whatever we did you know millions of years ago. Nobody seems to be quite sure exactly when, but there's no going back. Yeah, well, we want to go. go. Um, I've I've read a few books on Africa. Have you been? No, that's I haven't been. I, I mean, I've been I in North been. Africa, but I haven't been. Um, so it's just a romantic idea for me, and and I and I read like everybody the stories um, and the Belgian stories, King Leopold's Ghost which is a, a horrible story of uh, going back to the cradle and, and basically through a, a wonderful economic scheme, uh, exacting as colonial people did. Well, I have an well. axe to grind with that book. Yeah. I bet you do. <laughs> grind away. I, 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 grind bet away. You know this, I bet you know the story better than uh, the story that I read. King Leopold, it's true that there was sort of an exploitation of, you know, whether it be rubber and the chopped hands and, and everything else. However, the Belgian colonization of, of the Congo today, if you talk to people who have moved from the Congo, who live in Brussels, and people who are educated by the Belgian missionaries and the administrative structure that was, had been left by the Belgians after independence. I mean, it didn't take very long for it all to disappear. But extraordinarily enough, and, and then this is sort of a story which is a little bit indicative of, of the connection to, to Belgian, despite this, you know, King Leopold's go. So, you know, this must have been about 25 or to 30 years ago. Um, we get a note, and my husband was sort of president of the Alumni Association of his university in Brussels, and he gets a note from this fellow who was just appointed as ambassador to the UN for Zaire. And his name was Ambassador Bongo Bongo. And Ambassador Bongo Bongo shows up in New York, in the UN, and comes to 
our apartment at the time to present his credentials as being also an alumni of this university. And of course, he was from Zaire, and if there was a Congo, and I, you know, got very attached to to the ambassador, and um, he would come and spend all of his um, <laughs> birthdays and family celebrations with us. And um, and at one point, I also remember like Mobutu came for some UN, you know, general assembly, and he called. I said, well, you know, I need a favor for you. Can you, you know, rent a train to take Mobutu from New York to Washington? But nevertheless, there was this one evening, and one of Bongo Bongo's cousins was dating this um, woman from Harlem, and um, she proceeded to get very drunk and very loud. And here's Bongo Bongo, you know, at our apartment, and he sits next to my husband, and he looks at him, and he said, you know, these people here were not brought up the same way we were. So there was more mm. attachment to a fellow Belgian yeah, yeah, yeah. who was a colonial power mm. than to an African descendant mm. from Harlem, New York. Mm. So yeah, it's not really, I mean, I could say more about it, but. <laughs> <I'm sorry>. uh, <laughs> yeah. So has, has everything been forgiven? Is the Congo and Belgian, are they kind of good again oh absolutely yeah. i mean there's more congolese living in brussels than anywhere yeah. else is that right oh yes i mean they're all you know the ones that are there yes absolutely. how does that happen i mean if there were the crimes and and so on the the forgiveness and and well i guess the, the generational in-betweens and and then people having shared whether it was good or bad these significant moments and, and that well, kind of gluing so them together this is africa right so having a belgian chop off your hand how is that possibly worse than the king of Burundi being a Tutsi and being cut off at the knees by the Hutus and made to walk on his knees throughout the, you know, the main street of the capital of whatever Burundi may be? How is it worse? It's, right. it's, it, what I find fascinating about a, a lot of cultures and not European cultures is their capacity to forgive and forget. And I see that in Southeast Asia, and, and you've, you're alluding to that in terms of the Africans, and, and how healing that is, and, and how the erasure of any, any of the really bad things gets very quickly to the fact that things were shared. And Are you that saying was, that's a good thing? I'm, I'm thinking it's a very good thing mm. that, that we forgive and forget. Yeah, but it also means that potentially, <clears throat> doesn't it, in the same way, if you can erase that and, for, and forget, it also means that it can rebubble back well, up. Well, of course, it does Absolutely. that all, all of the time. Right. But there, take, there's this... Sorry. No, don't ever apologize for interrupting me. It's <laughs> no, your don't. show. <laughs> yeah, say it. Yeah, what were you going to say? say no, no, what I was going to say, I mean, the bubble erupting, the breakup of Yugoslavia. Yeah. The war yeah. between Croatia, Serbia, and Bosnia. Yeah. That has its roots. Well, it has its roots down into the Ottoman Empire because the border between the Muslim Ottomans, half of Bosnia, hmm. Serbia, and downwards. The upper part was Catholic, Austria-Hungary, controlled Croatia. Hmm. Yeah. During world, you know, and, 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 and Bosnia itself sort of was a mix of everything. I mean, mm. everybody was there. It was the Orthodox, the Muslims, the Catholics, none of which were very religious. Right. You know, I mean, the, the, the Muslims in Bosnia ate pork. Right, right, right. So, you know, um, comes the separation. Tito dies. 
Yugoslavia, well, no, actually before that, World War II, Catholic, Austro-Hungarian, Nazis. The, the southern part, the Turks. But anyway, massacres, everybody kills everybody else. They managed to become a country, Yugoslavia. 50 years go by. Tito dies. The only person who held it together, it breaks up. Right. What do the Croatians do? Bring up the ghost right. of World War II. What did the Serbians do? Exactly the same right, thing. And right, Bosnia, right. once again, is in the middle, and the Bosnians are the ones who end up getting killed. Mm. So it bubbles up. I it's think. a fault line, yeah. Yeah. And everybody's always been terrified of the Balkans. Well, the Balkans, I mean, the Balkans have always been sort of... Well, I mean, my... my um, my uh, grandmother's cousin was Gabrilo Princip, so... Oh, yeah, really? Yeah. I really? Know. Yeah, he was. Oh, wow, but so he was responsible for World War I. Yeah, but it's, it, but it's, <laughs> but it's even funnier because um, two of my great-great-great-great-great-great-aunts, um, one of them married the Tsar's brother, and the other one married um, Grand Duke Nikolai Nikolaevich, and they were Rasputin's lovers, and they're the ones who brought Rasputin to, to Moscow. Really? Yes. Where, and he came from? Well, he came from Siberia. He was a complete fake. I mean, there's diaries, and that my mother actually does have, of these two Montenegrin princesses that ended up marrying into the Russian family and, and liking Rasputin. But anyway, so when my kids found this out, actually, my husband didn't know about this. And he goes, I had no idea I was marrying somebody whose family is responsible for, you know, the fall of, you know. For World War One. World War One, right. yeah. Well, anyway, <laughs> on both sides. Wow. Well, yes, right. Exactly. On both sides. Um, golly. Uh, what about you? Uh, are your family responsible for anything like? No, my family. Uh, I don't know what my family is. No, but uh, a thousand years from now, my family will tell stories that are quite like this. Because, because you're, because we're going you're to determined be, now. No, to we're do it. invading Walton next week. <laughs> it's late in the day no. for you to start. <laughs> it's not, your it's own never ever too late to begin a legacy. I've got Dusty outside. If she's listening to the show, no, she can. I've got two daughters that are warrior-like, and uh, they will swing the swords. Well, and we the will. first thing you have to take in Walton is the armory. Yeah. Well, does he, does <laughs> you he, need yeah. to fortify. Johannes, Johannes still <laughs> exactly, has Exactly, that's exactly that. why he <laughs> right. already did that. <laughs> he would love us to take that away, wouldn't he? He does. He still has the papers on does it. Does he, he still have papers it? On it. Um, yeah. You know, I, 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 I've been listening to Z, and, um, and I'm only getting to know Z, and, and I'll never know her because she's, she's like odd. And I love odd. I, I think that people that don't think weird is good are just not weird. And, and this is the deal. There was this movie once, and it was a scam thing, like the paper moon or something. I can't remember. But um, two people, a father and a daughter, would walk into a gas station, and they'd have this game. And this is back in the 30s during the Depression. And the whole game was that you would push from the backside uh, – a toothpick through and a piece of paper would come out and it would say that you won or you didn't win what was on the paper. And there were thousands of these little holes, this beautiful diagram on this on this game board. And the father would go in and explain to the gas station attendant, give me 10 bucks and you will get this uh, uh, piece of gaming work. And people will come in, and for years they'll be pushing it out for 10 cents a draw, and you'll make hundreds of dollars off of this. There's only one thing in here with, with a, of any value. It's 100 bucks, right? But nobody's, you know, ever going to push that because the odds are one in a 1,000, blah, blah, blah. And these gas station attendants would go, 
sign me up. I here's your ten bucks. <laughs> Give me the board. And then, then the then the dad the next day would go off and have a hamburger and send his daughter in who would know Where that one was. spot right. on the board and she'd push it through. Mm. And I feel like we've just pushed and gotten out of it the hundred dollar thing with Z on this mm. show. No, it's true. This we could do really we several she, hours. With she you. is that remarkable odd. Thing that for some reason we were able to push the toothpick in and get it out. We could do several hours. I'd love to. Yeah, maybe we should. I've always dreamt of like being on talk radio. I love <laughs> talk radio. Like, yeah, <laughs> this is like a dream come true. Uh, it really is, and well, I can't thank you enough. Well, we should do another one, but we should pursue. We should. We have eight more minutes. <laughs> we do have oh, eight okay. more minutes. Another but, story, please. No, but we should. We, we should prep. Uh, we should prep us because clearly you have zones, and we just. We just glanced over one or two we've kind of sent it in the afternoon you know what i love about but we got uh, as far as bogota and then we stopped then we just and you're stop. still a kid at that stage I, i'm still a kid at that stage right so there's everything from there I, all the way to uh what's the name of the farm you should you should plug that a little argyle farm right and the general store please do come our pizza will get better yeah, <laughs> you, you know Andy's. i gotta say thingy what's it before um Don Hogan. Yeah, Hogan, yeah. We, at this point... I like his pizza, though. And let me tell you something. We are trying to catch up with him because he did such a remarkable job with yeah. that store. And his pizza was phenomenal. It was and very good. Nowhere near getting, you know, his pizza. But we're, we're So why the hell is it. he in uh, Home Depot or whatever it is? Oh, well, I guess we shouldn't talk. Well, we haven't really talked to him. Uh, but... <laughs> <laughs> we have uh, six more minutes. Oh, uh, Don Hogan lost a finger to a firecracker when he was young, and I think it was probably that that got him. Oh on my the God, road he did that. He did that trick for every single kid that came in. Yeah. The thing where you pretend that you don't have your finger, <laughs> but you really didn't have a finger. <laughs> Don <laughs> Hogan was it. one of the I first people, guy. and I, I have to tell you this because it was just like the perfect, perfect description of what this. Well, at least Andy's at the time because that's what he was talking about. And we met him at the hotel in the bar. And literally, we'd only been there for, you know, maybe a month trying to figure out what to do with this farm. And, um, and Don's trying to, like, explain what Andy's is all about. And he says, well, do you watch TV? And I mentioned this to Steve before. It was this show that this radio station really reminds me of. And it was this wonderful show on TV called Northern Exposure. Oh, yeah, I didn't see it, but I remember it being on yeah. and, um, and And Hogan said, well, you know, Andy's is like Northern Exposure meets Seinfeld. Hmm. And isn't that just the most perfect description? Just about perfect. I don't just know why. Perfect. I don't know either of the shows. You don't. I don't. Well, you should I... like even watch one episode of each. And you know, Northern Exposure happens in this tiny town in in Alaska. Right. And Seinfeld is a whole bunch of neurotic people. So. Well, we definitely have that. Uh, <laughs> why did you? Um, why did? Because obviously you got the farm. What made you take over the store? Just... I was drunk. <laughs> you had to be. No, I was. I was sitting Have on you been the drunk porch. Since? I was sitting on the porch of the hotel having drinks and looking across the street and people were complaining about the fact that it needed to be open. It, it totally needed did. to be open. Uh, and in this like, you know, when you when you drink, you're happy, you think you can conquer the world. And I was like, I will open the general store and I, I completely forgot about it the next day until I got a letter, um, a little note from Tom Joyce saying, well, this is really exciting for the community and so on and so forth. And I said, well, let's do it. 
And it's been a learning experience. And it's one of the most challenging things. No, it's amazing because no village can be a village if it doesn't have a village store. It has store. to have a general store. I, I, so I have a, we only have a, a couple of minutes or whatever, but I have a question for you. Why didn't you just nuke it? Because you're, you've done it in a way. Well, I don't own the building. Oh. Did you learn, did you learn ah. anything from uh, saying that you would take over this store? Did I learn anything? In, in the Hemingway way, and I'll, and I'll quote Hemingway on exactly what you did. Always do sober what you said you do drunk. That'll teach you to keep your mouth shut. And, and what you did was you followed through after in a drunken frenzy of joy saying that you would take over the story. You followed through. Now, was that a good, now that you've reflected and you've had a few years with it, is, is that a, a good thing? I think it's a fabulous thing. And, you know, Hemingway has his own you know, yeah. mantra. I have mine. And mine is that decisions are easy to make, but you have to be prepared to live with the consequences of those decisions. Here, here. And, you know, I, I made that decision, and it was an easy decision to make because I was in a really happy place at the time that I did. And now I'm dealing with the consequences happily. And uh, you're one of those rare people that does understand the consequences of being responsible. You're the sort of American uh, that... That, it, that from your background and all of the transient places that you went and the things that formed you that you were, as you said, never really belonging, but you had to in your ways survive by being an outsider, okay, and, and, and being able to deal with the politics and so on that were given to you on your, you have, you have become the ideal, the Jeffersonian ideal of what an American is, to be responsible, accountable, to work hard. Um, as a matter of fact, he wrote the Constitution on the back of the yeoman farmer, which you have become. I would say that as, as an immigrant, as we all are here in America, you today stand witness to all of the tests and all of the tortures that have that did once and, and maybe in a way will again, even though I don't think the American character is there anymore, made this country truly great. And um, there is in having a few more radio shows <laughs> with the Z, which is yeah. the Omega. She's the Omega woman. I, uh, I we, buy we that. Could, I buy that really... in, a, in a very patrician way. Well, thank you. What but, it, you know, getting back, no, like going back, no, wait, like no, wait, 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 I'm not sure that was a thank you. It was a compliment. That he just it was a compliment. On. It was a compliment. Uh, but well, it is in a patrician way because you yeah. take the idea of being a, of because being patrician, you are a patrician being but, um, as a compliment. But, but, but like taking this back full circle to where we started and the ideal of why I'm here and this started this whole conversation of growing up in Africa. I was educated in American schools in all these countries no, right. because it was a one consistent school and from first grade. I remember it was like reading the books, and there was Dick, Jane, Spot the dog, a house, a white picket fence, a Woody station wagon. Wow! So and you, that was you got attached to that. And that was my dream. And the first thing I did when I moved to this—that's what you got, huh? I bought a Woody station wagon. Now, oh, sweet. Now, now you know what. Now you know what the real deal of Dick and Jane and Spot yes. and whatever it is. <laughs> it's not quite run, what Dick, weird, run. It? <laughs> run, Jane, run. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so uh, we're coming to the end of the evening, Tickler. And I, and I would like to leave you with this, that um, we all know that we ultimately we behave off of a platform of our beliefs. And we have spent the evening with a woman named Z who was raised by a father when walking into the soccer team in Cameron and finding on the beds of his players 
these Blair Witch Project uh, uh, fetishes exactly. that, that, that curse them, he decided to go out the next day and to re reestablish confidence by dancing naked on the graves of their dead ancestors. This is a woman who grew up in a family that believed and consequently behaved that you've got to do what you got to do. And that is as American as it gets. And see, thank you so much. Yeah, that was being, great. That was great. You, you so got to come back for being well, with us. You got to come back. Thank you yeah. for having me. We should make me. like a once every three months date. Yeah, I think and that's so. Good. I'd it's love it. The further adventures of. You know that we've never kicked out the four feet of red carpet that we have before. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> never. Uh, and you're deserving of at least three no, feet. No, I'm it. not. I'm, I'm having a wonderful time, and you're a wonderful host, and I'm just thrilled. And uh, absolutely thrilled. <laughs> thank you. Um, to be continued come back next week julian's not traveling he'll be back with us far from crazy pavements the taste of silver spoons a clinical arrangement on a dirty afternoon where the fecal germs of Mr. Freud are rendered obsolete. The legal term is null and void in the case of Beasley Streets. In the cheap seats where murder breeds, somebody is out of breath.